Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to Real Blend number 79, a podcast that promised to be significantly better than the movies that are available in theaters this August. The guys are trying to convince me um, whether I need to go see The Kitchen or not. Do I need to see The Kitchen? You saw it. You saw Windows, did, or Widows, didn't you? Oh, it's Widows? Is that what it it's, is? It's a really bad version of Widows. Kevin? Oh, Widows is good. Yeah, it's, um, I, I actually feel bad for how bad that movie is. Oh, no! <laughs> no! <laughs> no, I'm being serious, because, like, there's a lot of great talent involved in that yeah. film. And yeah. it's shot well. I just, I don't know, I don't know what happened. Widows is so good. Widows is amazing. Yeah. I guess this yeah. doesn't have Steve McQueen. Is that what the problem is? <laughs> yeah. That, is awesome. It doesn't have a lot of things. You yeah, know, what? okay, has. so my other screenings this week are Angel Has Fallen. And uh, so, <laughs> hence the hence the August joke. Okay, anyway, I am Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at Cinema Blunt. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? Um, I am joined, as always, by my illustrious co-hosts. I'll start with Mr. Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, man. That opening joke was hilarious. Yeah. Well, that, was, that was really uh, funny. Maybe one that, of your best. That was Jake's joke. Uh, yeah, I, it was. I didn't have one, and he uh, he floated me that one, a la Jackie the Joke Man, sending jokes to Howard Stern. Did you guys ever listen to Howard <laughs> when you were growing up? Oh, Kevin, you're I, a huge Howard fan. I listen to Stern every day. I listen to him on the way home just now, on the way home from work. I have bought me his book. It's we, amazing. Are you taking submissions for opening lines? Yes. At this point now, I kind of am. What, what, oh, oh, 80 he, episodes in? He's, he's I, out. He's spent. No, I actually look forward to those every week, but I'd love to be... I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm really jealous that you use Jake's this week. So no, I, no, no. I, I want to I I be Oh, we should start making a competition where we all get to submit one. Oh, not just that. Also, I'm going to announce this on the air. I want you guys to have access to the Twitter feed. You're both getting access to the Twitter what? feed. What? Yeah. What? Yes. Dude, that's true. amazing. God, I've heard for lots of pictures of my dog. It's time to officially... No, see, you can't just post pictures of your dog. I, I have access. I can do whatever the hell I want. You have to remember that when you're on the show's account, you're responding on behalf of the show. You're but, responding on behalf of the show. <laughs> <laughs> but up to this Thanks, point, Dad. it has largely been Gabe... Uh, and sometimes myself, and I just feel like you guys have been asking for access to the Twitter account, and there's no reason why you shouldn't have it. I feel I like Kevin and I are like the kids of the show, and we're like, okay, like we're trusting you guys <laughs> with the keys to the car. Now this is a big responsibility. It is. But we believe in you. I have I a lot of faith in you guys. I will say this: I do like when I when I read the Real Blend Twitter, and I'm seeing who's responding, and I'm trying to figure out if it's Gabe or Sean. I actually don't know sometimes who it is. Which yeah, is kind of, it's like ghost writing. I don't know who it is. Like, it makes me excited to figure that out. But oh, now they're about to be now, so many Kill Bill. Yeah, Joe now you'll have people, Jake also. <laughs> should we start responding with like our initials? Like, oh yeah. Like, well, like, oh, that's like, good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like that. All, all three of us were like, oh, yeah. And then Gabe was like, oh, I don't know. And then we were all like, yeah, that was a really bad idea. That was really stupid. What a horrible like, idea. I've seen some like uh, bands that do that. Like if they're if a band yeah. member replies from an account, they'll go, um, if their name is John Smith, they'll put they'll respond, respond and then they'll put JS. Yeah. Like, you know, airlines do that, too. Yeah. Or it's like That's celebrities, awesome. like if it's actually Tom Cruise, he'll sign it with TC. Otherwise, right, you assume right. that it's. It's I will people. put horrible stuff there and just put JH. Yeah. <laughs> really, and most mean people would stuff. buy it. Let's let's be honest. If anyone is an asshole on the Real Band Twitter account, everyone's just going to assume that it was me. All right. <laughs> Speaking of uh, really mean stuff, listen, we are a democratic website, um, and we have always said, or podcast, I guess I should say, we have always said, if everybody leaves us a review, we will choose to read it at the top of the show. We love to hear feedback from people who um, listen to the show. 
and react to it. And most of the time, it's extremely positive. We have received some incredible reviews um, from people who have really enjoyed what we're trying to do on the site. Now, uh, on the show. I keep saying site. What's wrong with me? Um, but this week in particular, but. we received our first uh, two blatantly negative uh, criticisms leveled at Kevin, the Kevin, what happened to your mom, dude? <laughs> this is my dad this time. <laughs> this is your dad. Yeah, Kevin's and then dad. I think one of them is my brother. They, 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 we, we needed to set off the balance here a little bit. So, so you know, jealous it, that your mom gets time. such attention. Um, so these are both uh, critiques of the Tarantino episode. And um, I'm going to read them. I'm going to read them in full. And, and listen, uh, what I will say is every opinion is, is totally justified. And if you uh, listen to something that we do on Real Blend and you thoroughly dislike how we approach something, you are, you're more than welcome to leave us a review. Uh, I will also say, however, though, that these are the top two reviews on the feed. So if someone could help us out and go and leave a really nice one to sort of bump also, these full down disclosure, a little bit. We will make fun of you in our text thread. <laughs> All right. So this one is from... Um, DCW Podcast Fiend. Now, I don't know what DCW stands for. Um, and they their subject line is have some dignity. Have some have some dignity, boys. For All right. God's and it sake. says uh, the slobbering interview of Tarantino was a huge turnoff. Mm. And I say that as a fan of the man and his movies. Mm-hmm. You gushed about the memorabilia that you brought to the interview and how right. awed you were in his presence longer than you actually spoke to him. Yuck. Okay. Now, let me just disagree with that because, again, you can have an opinion, and we certainly did gush about being with him, and we were, to be fair, in awe of him and his talents. To say that we did that longer than the actual interview, that's just not factually accurate. <laughs> I mean, because if we Sean gave you a back nice long interview. Oh, well, I don't even have to. That's a long-ass interview that we gave you with the man. However... That's, I, I think that's a, you're entitled to that opinion. Boys, anything to uh, to add to the have some dignity reaction? Yeah, well, here's the thing. One thing I learned early on in this, this business, like when yeah. I first started in radio, um, you get a lot of negative comments, you get a lot of positive comments. The negative ones are the ones that are, like sting the most, that stay with you the most. But I always learned early on that if you're not polarizing, you're not doing it right. And I... Um, I actually look forward to reviews like that because I genuinely feel like it's 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 a it's a, it's a balance. <laughs> I respect your um, opinion, and I actually understand where you're coming from. Um, but that particular interview uh, is probably the one that you're going to hear what you heard only ever on that type of interview because that was a gigantic thing for us. Um, for it was sure. also a very big deal for us uh, as a as a young podcast to be able to book that type of an interview. He's also my favorite director of all time. Um, that memorabilia has been with me since I was 13, 14 going forward. Uh, so I had I, there was no shame in my part and our parts in bringing that stuff in. But, I, you know, I, I understand. I, I get it. Somebody listening to that interview and, and not knowing how big fans of we are, are of him and then thinking about maybe all of our interviews sounding like that? No. But the interview itself, the 20-minute, 22-minute solid core of that interview, I thought was extremely solid. You might have. Yeah, Kevin, I'm glad that you look forward to hearing feedback like this because we, se- we have a second. I, I like <laughs> it. I <laughs> we have a second one. <laughs> I like it, man. I mean, and yeah. I, it means that we're doing well. That's what my, my For opinion For sure. And again, and again, listen, we welcome all types of feedback. Please. And we're not afraid to read these at the top of the show. Have you read my YouTube comments on my interviews? <laughs> 
this is like this is like someone. Uh, and those are just all comments that I leave. Yeah, these, these this, this, this is like praising. Okay, so this person uh, labeled themselves. This is not important. And they uh, called it Tarantino and they said, listen to the Tarantino episode and I have no desire to listen to any others. Most of the episode was fanboy gushing. Even when Tarantino was talking, there was incessant background gushing that made it almost unlistenable. Well, for that, I blame production, uh, Gabe, because uh, (laughs) (laughs) you should silence our mics. Um, you You guys do realize that like for every thing that is considered to be great by a good amount of people, there are always people who are going to find something negative about oh, it. Oh, for and sure. I, and, yes. I, and I genuinely think that there is um, the gushing of that interview. Everything you heard in that interview is genuine. Every sure. single piece of it. Every Absolutely. single piece of that was actually the way we felt about everything that happened in that moment. And I will say, if those guys are still listening, and deep down, I kind of think that they are. Stick around. There's going to be better interviews coming, and I'm sure that there's plenty of other things that you will enjoy about this podcast uh, as we continue to grow. Now, what Sean's not telling us is the reviews were written by Quentin Tarantino. That's that, that's who they were written <laughs> yes, by, and his publicist. And his we publicist. did get a really sweet email, and I'm going to end on this one so that we end on a high note because we are um, people who really like to have our egos stroked. And this is from Daniel Moreno, who says, "Hey, y'all." I love movies and I love this podcast. I've been listening since the beginning. I want to preface my review by saying that I work in a nonprofit that helps people in some really tough situations. Naturally, this makes it pretty stressful. When I first started, I was given some valuable advice that it was important to find a way to leave your work at work. So I asked around to find out how people did that. And I found that some people said they listened to music. Some, uh, some people called friends or family and other people listened to podcasts. I've always loved Cinema Blend, and I heard that they had started a podcast, so I decided to give it a try. Since the beginning, you guys have helped me leave my work at work. Each week, I tune in, and you guys make me laugh, argue, and make my love for movies grow. So I'm writing this to say thank you. Real Blend has helped me on some really hard days, and you guys make those days better. Uh, Sincerely thankful, and he hashtagged Dunkirk, hashtag I quit, and hashtag Sean is right about Forrest Gump. Oh, so, it was so going it, so well until the end. <laughs> Those are honest hashtags. Those were included by Daniel. So, Daniel, thank you for the work that you do, my friend. More importantly, because that sounds important. What we do is not very important at all. But if you get anything out of it, uh, then it justifies every minute that we put into this show. So thank you. Let's get back to how awesome our Tarantino interview was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There's a lot of movies hitting uh, theaters this week. And um, we saved a few from last week to this week. And I know that now so you guys did like, Kevin, I think you did seven junkets this past weekend. Like you were Five. the busiest man I've ever heard of. So <laughs> I'm going to run through a bunch and you guys tell me what you have seen and um, what's worth seeing. Uh, either of you see Dora and the Lost City of Gold. I did not. Did you guys read that it was review? really good. Did you read that review in Hollywood Reporter? The one that no. was all sensual? There was one guy from Hollywood Reporter. I think it was Todd McCarthy. I shouldn't have said his name. Was it Harry Knowles? Not, no, it wasn't Harry Knowles. But like he used like, he's like, it's really awkward. He talks about how Dora is going after like the kid audience, but also a teen audience. So they make her look seductive. It was weird. It was really weird. It's an What? Yeah, I'll send you a link. It's How old is the actress? Is she like a 12 year old girl? No, I think she's Uh, like 19 or 20. She's probably older. I think she's older. Still. Not, not, not that we're not, and we're not saying that's the right thing to write in the review. It's, it's it's not a good thing to put in there, but I don't, I do think she's like 19 or 20. Not that that makes it right. The Art of Racing in the Rain. Anybody seen? We saw it. it? I saw saw it. it. Okay. And 
Um, Go, Jake. There, there are a couple of scenes in that movie that almost borderline derailed it and ruined it for me. Um, because oh, no. to me, okay. they were um, they almost felt like someone written by someone that didn't own a dog because the, the, the behaviors of the characters are not things that you would do if you own a dog and love your dog as much as these characters do. That being said, there are a lot of very sweet moments in it. Um, the, the movie is at its best when it's about the dog. Once it kind of takes the focus on the dog and becomes about the humans, to me, it's, in, uh, it's a lot less interesting. Kevin, did you like yeah. it? Well, yeah, Mar- well, I was a little scared because Marley and Me's name was attached to, I guess it was from the studio that brought you Marley and Me, which Marley and Me is a movie I'll never watch again in my life. I just, I just find it to be um, extremely manipulative. It's not a bad movie. It's just very manipulative. And they, they clearly knew what they were doing with people who love dogs. Um, Art of Racing in the Rain, I actually found to be a really fascinating movie, to be honest. I didn't know a lot about it. Uh, Simon Curtis, a couple of things I want to point out. The cinematography in this film is insane. Like the way they captured the racing sequences, there's this one shot as we're following like these cars th- through the lanes and the, and the camera catches up to a car. It was, it was it was better shot than I expected it to be considering I thought it was just going to be a movie about a guy and his dog. Uh, I didn't know a ton about the story. Uh, I love the metaphors um, that are used in the story of about rain and creating your own conditions. And um, I learned a lot about racing in the rain, oddly enough. I didn't realize that that was even a, a genuine skill um, that race car drivers could have to use to their advantage. And I, um, so that part was interesting. Uh, emotionally, it was very hard for me to get through. Um, a lot of it, you know, I'm a married guy, so you, you, there's a lot going on with the story between him and Amanda Seyfried's character uh, that was really hard to take in. Uh, and on top of it, uh, the dog element, uh, what's happening with the dog, clearly just getting older but the idea of uh, those there's a lot of moments where you think about your own self um i i was definitely in tears for the majority of the film because it's just a really hard film to watch because it's so real and it kind of gets into that idea of do you send people to see something like that and and that's where it gets interesting as a critic right this is a i do think it's a good movie um, do I want you to go sit there for two hours and feel the way I did? I don't know. I mean, it, it, but also I'm coming at it from my own personal life. I'm coming at it from someone who's lost, uh, two dogs or, you know, I've coming at it from somebody who's married. I'm coming at it from, um, different perspectives. So this movie hit me in a very unique way. Um, so much so that it's kind of like stick, stuck with me for the past three or four days now that I've thought a lot about like what's important in life. Um, Milo's character travels a lot. I travel a lot for work. You know, what's worth going to, what's not worth going to. Huh. Um, I don't know that this movie was meant to hit me on this level, but maybe I just saw it at a time where it was I was ready to have these thoughts and yeah. these, these thoughts about life. So I don't know. I mean, it's, I feel like maybe I'm going deeper than I need to on a movie like this, but I do genuinely think it has a lot to say. I think Simon Curtis... Um, did a really wonderful job. There's a really cool thing he uses, this dog POV, uh, where, oh, I want to mention this. I, 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 um, this is so cool to me. I had no uh, clue he wrote it. Simon Curtis wrote this. That's uh, I know he amazing. directed it. Did he write it? it? Oh, he directed it? It's based no, no, on a he, book that apparently everyone has read. Every person I talk right. to about this movie, they're like, oh, yeah, I read that book. Apparently everyone's read this book. Yeah, Simon right. Curtis directed it. The writer, I'm not sure. I know it's based on a book from 2008. Um Cool little side note, because this is really, really cool. Um, There's a scene in the trailer, which is also the poster for the film, where Milo is driving the dog, Enzo, um, in the passenger seat. The dog is literally strapped into a seatbelt. And I saw Jake in that poster. Yeah, and like a 57 Ferrari, like a $9 million car or something like that. Um, 
that's like they practically did that. Like it's kind of cool. Like they basically think about it from Milo's perspective for a second. Okay, he's in that driver's seat driving a dog who's strapped into a seatbelt. In front of him is a car following him with the trainer staring at the dog, telling <laughs> the dog where to look. There's also a camera car with a gigantic, uh, I think it's called a Russian arm, following them. Milo cannot turn hard enough because the dog's head will go out of frame because the shot is so tight. So think of you, if you go back and watch that scene again, think about the logistics of Milo calmly driving that car calmly and being happy that his dog's in the car. Anybody who has a dog knows their dog like sticking their head out the window. Yeah, but yeah. just the logistics of that shoot are amazing to me. That's and pretty the, funny. The, what went into that is like is more than it should have been. And it's actually really well done. So I liked it a lot. All right. Please tell me scary stories to tell in the dark is good. I haven't seen it. Dang it. Kevin saw it. I know he I did. I have not seen it. Oh, what? You did like 11 junkets this weekend. That I wasn't did one five of junkets this weekend. But remember, I was away for a week for Highs and Shaw. I don't like what I've seen so far. God, but did you guys read those books? Because I yeah, did not. Oh my God, they they're, were after. they're sitting on my shelf right now. So, uh, dude, I love those books. Those stories are horrifying. But I hate how they're trying to bring in all the books into one story. Why didn't they just do it as an anthology and take me from one story to another? They're t- they're taking all the stories and making what they did one... with goosebumps, right? They I, poured I, yeah, all but the... at least that made sense because they made R.L. Stein a character, and it's what oh, if yeah. you know what what if R.L. Stein's books were real? This is just it. Just takes the plot of each of the stories, which if you read those like in, in elementary school or middle school like I did, one, the stories were great and the illustrations, I don't know if you remember the illustrations, were horrifying. Those books were fantastic and just based on what I've seen in the trailer, nothing about that trailer makes me want to see it. I Is, wish Del Toro uh, directed it. Yeah, what's Del Toro's connection? Producer? Just producer. producer. Yeah, okay. just producer. He didn't direct it. Um, you guys have both said that the kitchen was not necessarily worth seeing, that it's a poor man's version of Widows. Um, let's bounce to Brian Banks. Brian Banks, worth checking oh. out? Can I just clarify oh. one thing on the kitchen? Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't know when the when the embargo lifts for that. Um, oh yeah, that's a film that like I just find frustratingly. Uh, I find it frustrating, and I mean with that because there's so much talent involved in that movie. I mean, right, there's right. Elizabeth Moss, Melissa McCarthy's a great actress. I do think she is. Haddish, um, I, she wasn't used correctly in my opinion in this film. Um, but I just I, I don't want to ever talk ill of a film. But it's based I, on a very popular graphic novel. I yeah, mean, and listen, listen, I am a critic and I will always be honest with my reviews. Um, but there's a point sometimes where like you feel bad like you know, with something like that, it's just not a good movie. And I feel like like I, I, I just frustratingly want to know what went wrong. I mean, yeah, I looked over at Jake and said, Jake, this is horrible. It is a very bad movie. <laughs> and then he movie. said, Jake, wake up. <laughs> yeah, Jake fell asleep halfway through. I mean, Jake, Jake and I didn't fall asleep. Jake went to sleep. Jake went to sleep. It, it's it's There's really. I See, did watch the whole thing. And now I have to go. Now I'm, not, con- I'm. No, it's actually frustratingly. Like I wanted to step in there and go. And Come it's on. made all the worse by the fact that we just got a brilliant version of a very similar story. Like I said, Wait, Widows about yeah, about ten months ago. Yeah. All right, Brian Banks. I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going Same. to. Same. Um, Did you? I thought it okay. was going to be sort of a lifetime movie of the week, and it ends up being just this incredible story of perseverance where you it, it really made me aware, uh, aware of the social issue that's going on that I think a lot more people need to be paying attention to. It gives you that what would I do Wait, feeling. what is it? What is it? It's what? the true story of a guy who was on his way to being – I mean he was on like Pete Carroll's uh, speed dial when Pete Carroll was a coach at USC. Okay. Um, he was a high school football player who was on his way to the NFL, like on the short list for being brilliant, and was uh, falsely accused of rape 
Okay. And was essentially told to make a plea deal, a plea deal which landed him in prison for six years. Like, how does oh, a gosh. plea deal land you in jail for six years? He goes to jail, does his time, comes out, and works to clear his name because in the state of California, the only time frame you have to clear your name before you are branded a sex offender for the rest of your life is the amount of time that you were on probation. So when your probation is up and you have not cleared your name, you are a sex offender for the rest of your life no matter wow. what happens. So oh there's gosh. a timer. There's a timer set to this movie and it's really about him working with this Innocence Project, convincing the Innocence Project that he's someone whose case should be taken on, and then working to, I mean, it really makes you realize the laws in California are really hard to get across. You have to come up with new evidence that wasn't presented in the original case. It's just an unbelievable story. It's a great story. It's a story that I didn't know about. I think one of my favorite things about movies is learning stories that I didn't know prior to going into them. So that particular story I didn't know a lot about. I thought Aldous Hodge was incredible. Um, Greg Kinnear, fantastic performance from him. Um, Tom Shadiak, who directed this movie, which I find so interesting that his resume is so fascinatingly different from Brian Banks. I mean, you're talking about Ace Ventura, Liar Liar, Patch Adams. So I sit down, this is so funny, I sit down with um, Tom Shadiak and Brian Banks, the real Brian Banks, for an interview for the movie. And as I'm sitting there, I genuinely... I was like, is it appropriate for me to bring up The Nutty Professor in a setting like this? Because this is such a serious movie and Nutty Professor is like fart jokes and, and, and I love The Nutty Professor. So I sit down and Tom Shadyak goes, oh, my cousin told me to say hi to you. And I'm like, what? He goes, oh, my cousin watches you uh, in D.C. And I was like, I was like, okay, there's my in. I, I can somehow bring up Naughty Professor and not and not make him mad because, you know, because it's such a random film from 23 years ago. And he was all about it. Brian Banks starts like dying laughing about like, <laughs> we're talking about the uh, dinner table scene where Eddie Murphy's farting and playing like eight different people. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like Brian Banks, this guy's serious story. And we're just like geeking out about Nutty Professor, which was a classic comedy. And Tom Shadyak right. even it, it admitted how great that comedy was. So, Oh, it is. And, yes. and I, I just think that it really shows his range as a filmmaker. So very cool. That's really funny. All right. Um, we're going to get to our Hobbs and Shaw review. We held it off from last week. Um, and this is going to put us in an odd situation um, because shortly after we discuss Hobbs and Shaw, which a lot of people went to go see this weekend, the movie did really well at the box office. It's a good launch for that potential branch of a franchise. Um, the guys were lucky enough to get some sit down time with director David Leach, which you guys are going to be able to hear. Um, a fascinating conversation about the making of Hobbs and Shaw and especially Leach and the way that he approaches um his uh, stunts and his action choreography and obviously is one of the better people out there working. So I'm going to go first so that we end on a more positive note uh, before we throw it to David Leach, because I did not like Hobson Shaw. Um, it did not work for me. It was th this, the analogy I made on Twitter, which is, I still feel is the best way to sort of sum it up is that, you know, every once in a while you, you let yourself sort of cheat. Uh, uh, and you and you let yourself go through the drive-through at McDonald's, and and get fries, right? Which fries are my weakness. I love fries, and especially McDonald's fries, which are salty and greasy. And when you get them in there, as hot and piping fresh as can be, you take them because even though you know they're bad for you, they have the which, best fries. By the way, can we admit that? Yeah, Their I think fries so. are amazing. They're amazing. McDonald's fries are incredible. And that's what I think Hobbs and Shaw is. Like, when you go to it, you know, this isn't good for me. Like, it's it's really dumb, but I'm going to splurge. I'm going to... 
But then sometimes you go through the drive-thru and you get the fries and you pull out and you and you go into the bag and you start eating them. And they're the ones that have been in the tray for a long time and they're kind of cold. You know, they've been under the warmer and they didn't put enough salt on them and they just scooped them out. You got the last one before the fresh batch came out. But by then you've already sort of driven away. So they, they have no taste to them. There's no flavor and they're cold. And then you feel bad that you got fries in the first place. So you like cheated and it, then it wasn't worth it because it was like over overblown and it, it didn't work out the way you wanted it to. That's how I felt with Hobson Shaw. I was wow. like, this should be fun. I should feel OK about this. But but here's my, and I've said I feel this like before we're in, in therapy the show. right now. <laughs> Feels a little bit like this. I have said this numerous times. If a hero in a movie is invulnerable, if nothing can stop them, um, there's no dramatic tension to it. And I think with most of the things that Hobbs and Shaw did in that movie, even by Fast and Furious standards, they were, you know, CGI creations essentially, and it was, you know. It just got to be too much. After a while, it just got to be too much, and I kind of waved the white flag and I said, "Enough is enough. I can't. I can't really be on board with this." It was almost science fiction to me. But you guys had more fun with it than I did. Yeah, I, I mean, so to keeping with the, the food metaphors, I, I would say that for me, it was the 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 equivalent of getting Taco Bell when you're a little tipsy at three o'clock in the morning. Oh, like okay. it's 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 a, it seems like a good idea at the time, and it goes down really easy, and it's just yeah. so good. You question how really good it is later, but right. at the time, it's the best possible decision you could make. And oh my god, it's it's it, what a wonderful moment while it's happening. Okay. Kevin, um, you need a food analogy, so start thinking. Yeah, so yeah, get your get, a, yeah. get your food analogy. Look, I love Taco I, Bell, so I don't know all the time. Yeah, yeah, and all yeah. I, I told that metaphor to Kevin, and Kevin, what he, his takeaway was. But Taco Bell is good at all times, not just at 3 a.m. And he's right, <laughs> but especially at 3 a.m. after you've had a drink or two with yeah, your Yeah, sure, for sure. Yeah. yeah so, you look, it's, by no means is this the equivalent of, of like a Mission Impossible coming out in the summer. Because there was a lot of CGI and, and a lot of ridiculousness to it. I've sort of checked out from the past few Fast and Furious movies. I feel like lately they've taken themselves too seriously. So, to me, this is Fast and the Furious without a stick up its ass. Like, it, it recognizes kind of how stupid it is and how ridiculous it is. I will say that article that came out recently did kind of take a little bit of the the buzz away from the movie format i don't know if you guys read about the contract their contracts yeah that, that was fascinating. where like there can only be x number of punches and that neither of them are really allowed to lose a fight so they make it equal because if you think about john mcclain and ethan hawk and indiana jones one of the things that they ha- all have in common is that they get the crap beat out of each other That's i mean i mean I they, get, they get the crap beat out of them they I do mean, they, in they, Hobbs and Shaw. I see. I disagree. I really oh, don't. Oh, dude, that electro- electrocution sequence is unbelievable. Those yeah, guys but, are but down even and like, out. but the, the point of the article is that that neither of them can be above or below of the other. Like, so? if they're going to get electrocuted, they're both going to get electrocuted. If they're going to okay. get punched, they're both going to get it punched, and they're both going to get an equal punch back. Like, that, that was the argument: is that these egos are making everything one. Like, at no point can Hobbs be above Shaw or Shaw be above Hobbs. It's got to be equal the whole time. And if that's you inside know, baseball, though, that can't affect the way, you're, the way you view the movie. Yeah, I that, disagree. That, I, I, all, all it did, it's, it's what we do. It's what we, we recognize no, no, no. something in a movie and then point it out and make people go, "Oh wow, I didn't realize that." It, like, it's, except that someone did that for me. I mean, that she did exactly that article, which. I believe was, I'm sorry I say she I believe it was written uh, but I, I, the article I was brilliantly written and really kind of made me realize something I mean that's what we do for a living is make people realize things about movies did you like it you liked it more than I loved more. it I'm going to see it again in, in two hours with my wife and her family just I to can't. see Tenet though you just want to see the Tenet trailer no I want to see Hobbs and Shaw again I've, have I, you I, seen I, the Tenet trailer yet 
No, I re- I'm not what? watching. The, I'm not watching the bootleg. No, what? I'm not, no, I refuse to watch the bootleg. I'm kind of amazed you haven't gotten yourself to a theater to see it though. This is new well, Nolan. This is well, Nolan been, footage. Well, I've been traveling. I was saw five movies over the weekend, and I did five junkets, and I got back. This is and not an excuse. Well, it's definitely an excuse. I mean, not with I that not that not um, I listen. I think uh, first of all, I think the argument of too much CGI in Hobbs and Shaw is not accurate. I think uh, I think David did a lot of that, a lot of stuff in camera as much as he could in camera. Um, things that were obviously had to be CGI, like a helicopter being being taken down by the arm of the rock. I mean, these are things that like are not possible to actually film in camera. I mean, the Fast and Furious movies to me, when you go into a Fast and Furious movie, you are agreeing that science and physics don't exist in these worlds. I mean, like you're having cars skydive, you're having the rock move a missile with his bare hands. I mean, come on, this is anybody who's breaking that type of stuff down with a fast and furious movie. Shouldn't be watching a fast and furious movie. Um, in my opinion, Hobbs and Shaw, David Leach, if you watch a lot of that action, it's well choreographed and it's a lot of long takes of action because he actually cares about his audience and he genuinely, genuinely wants you to sit in an action scene and not see a bunch of quick cuts. Um, the dialogue exchange between Rock and, and Statham is unbelievable. That airplane scene is unbelievably funny. It's a great sequence. It's well written. It's well done. Um, the cameos are great. Great cameos. They're, funny. Um, They're really I, funny. I thought that the uh, Vanessa Kirby genuinely looked like a person who was capable of taking those guys. Yeah. And and I and I think that's a hard thing to do for a filmmaker, especially with the size of someone like The Rock, to make it look realistic. Like that would that would be like making me look like I can fight The Rock, which is not right. possible in real life. But they do it in a way it's directed well enough where you believe it. Also, Idris, great villain. It actually had layers to him. I thought he was phenomenal. I like the movie a lot, so I, I recommend it. Well, I'm gonna hook you guys up now with someone else who also liked the movie very much. The director, David Leach, a guest on the Real Blend podcast, having a conversation with your boys, Jake Hamilton and Kevin McCarthy. In Hawaii. Uh, here, good? Yep, you're there. Yeah, it's yeah. your microphone. We're going to share mic here. Cool. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and roll. Yep. Let's do this. All right. All right, this is amazing. Uh, David Leach is here. We are here in Hawaii, Jake and I, uh, part of the Real Blend podcast, and uh, David Leach, the director of... Hobbs and Shaw. I mean, this is amazing. Now, I do want to ask you this right off the bat. There are, in the movie, you title it Fast and Furious colon Hobbs and Shaw. And then I've seen Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. Which one do you want to be officially called? Uh, Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. Okay. I, think, I mean, I they're doing something with different markets, and I'm not sure exactly how it all works. But um, Interesting. I like Presents. Yeah, I like Presents, presents as well. Yeah, yeah. Presents yeah. sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah. When you make a movie like this, Obviously, you know it's going to have to be PG-13, but yeah. do you just say, look, I'm going to make potentially an R-rated movie, and then you guys cut back what you... Like, is there an R-rated cut of this somewhere? Uh, I didn't intend... I mean, I, I think you go in with the intention of making a PG-13 movie, and, um, you know, it's hard, I guess. I come from sort of the, the action background, and some of those fight scenes get really visceral, like the stuff in Atomic Blonde. Obviously, John Wick. Yeah. Yes. We make John Wick... Part of the PG-13 John Wick. There's no, there's no version What's of that. What's the PG-13 stairwell scene in Atomic Blonde? It's one second. Yeah. It's literally yeah. one second. So you really have to go in with the, you know, the idea that you're making a PG-13 movie. Um, you know, I think I brought this up to to one of you guys earlier. It's like the the Samoa sequence at the end. Yeah. Like, so there's the 
the the ancient weapons battle. Like you can go into that and make a brave heart sequence, and it could be super bloody and visceral, or you can make something that has. Um, still a lot of fun and still action that you can see, but we can tone down the sound effects. We can tone down the blood. We can have the music drive it and make it, you know, still visually action that you, you'd you expect from 8711, but um, also more impressionistic in terms of like, it's about the brotherhood. It's about these guys coming together and, yeah. uh, you know, moving to the next set piece. I told Jake that story after you told me that in the interview and we were, we were, we were so fascinated by the idea of how tone could set the rating. Um, so can you explain that a little more as to like, what, like what exactly did you do to the scene regards to tonally? Like music, was there any music there initially that they, they said, this is too serious. This has to be R rated. Like how did, like how, what does tone have to do with the rating? Well, tone, tone, um, you know, it, it's all sort of subjective, I guess, at the end of the day, when you're, you're, you're working with the MPAA, who are really, honestly, at the end of the day, great people that are trying to protect filmmakers. And it's hard because you're, you butt up against them and you challenge to push the system. But what they're really trying to do is protect us and make sure that, you know, they don't come in and legislate this stuff in a way that, you know, there's a political agenda or something. So um, you want to work with them. And they, they have a lot of... Uh, you know, sort of console and saying like, if you did this, this would help. Hmm. Um, sound effects are huge. And we talked about this, yeah. you know, the sound of a, a sledgehammer hitting a skull can have, may take on many different incarnations. Yeah. I'm thinking and of a, you a moment like, where you hit someone and you didn't, get, you didn't have it too loud. Yeah. yeah. You can muffle it. You can take it down. It like, it doesn't feel visceral. It's not like going through your bones and like, um, but you know, sound is impactful. IE the, the, uh, the stairwell fight in Atomic Blonde. I ripped out all score and music and I live with the sound effects and we crank the sound effects up. So you're really feeling every punk that Lorraine is getting. And um, so sounds really important part of the process and can actually take a, take the tone to a place where it helps. I mean, it helps for PG-13 or helps make it more visceral for R. So There's a famous yeah. story about that. Have you heard the story about Kill Bill where like Quentin Tarantino had to make the House of Blue Leaf scene black and white because the MPA said he had too much red blood spraying. It seemed like an NC-17. So when, when during the eye rip out, that becomes black and white because the MPA would not let him show off. Oh, I didn't know that. Which is That's crazy. wild to me, but I, I love <laughs> stuff like that. Do you ever get like a note from the MPAA <clears throat> For you know whether it be a sound or, or whatever the case may be, and just go okay, come on, like, <laughs> like seriously, that. Yeah, I mean it is again because it's so subjective. You get frustrated because it's just one person's opinion. Well, actually, a group of people, but it's one person in that group that's like pointing out the one thing, and you're like, oh my god, okay. There's what about the other things here? Don't <laughs> yeah. look, don't yeah, look, yeah, don't yeah, look. Yeah, exactly. Um, so um, yeah, it gets frustrating. But it, again, like if you approach it like all things, it's like. They're just trying to help. And so yeah. it's like, we want this to be accessible for a huge market. And we want, you know, families to want to come. We want moms to let their kids come at a certain age. And you just don't want to push an audience away with this type of four quadrant movie. It's yeah. different than Deadpool. It's yeah. different than John Wick. And, you know, then you want to embrace that stuff and you want to push the boundaries towards NCR, NCR, you know. Yeah. And so or X, yeah, so you know, one of the, the scenes I love most is in this movie is not even an action scene, but it's when uh, uh, Dwayne and Jason are across the aisle on an airplane and they're just <laughs> ragging on it. And honestly, I think it was Mountain what maybe maybe a, a five minute scene of them <laughs> ragging on each other. I could have watched them go for two hours. So, do you just sort of turn the camera on and go? 
guys have fun? Or is it like, is it very like, okay, here's the script, here are the things you say, and let's move on? It is, it's really scripted, and I think good comedy is. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that's not exactly true. I mean, I think there's great comedy, you know, uh, I've worked in Will Ferrell's movies and Adam McKay's movies, and, and Judd Apatow's stuff as a stunt performer and a coordinator, and you're like, wow, they do great with improv. But there is also this system of alts and like having a list of alts and being prepared. So you've done your homework. You have lines that, you know, are on the page and then you go, now try this one, now try this one, now try this gag, now try this gang. So it's not just like if you're having a bad day, it's all improv. You know what I mean? And there are those moments of improv that, you know, are gold, but there's a lot of bad improv. And I think you can, you know, good comedians like like Ryan, like Kevin, like Dwayne and Jason, who are great at comedy, they come in with their alts and they're like, I want to try this line. I want to try this line. I want to try this line. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we get the chemistry going, we get the rhythm going and comedy rhythm is important. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you, then you start yeah. the, the alts. What's cool about shooting on digital nowadays is that comedy's sort of taken on a new thing. You just let the cameras roll and you couldn't do that, you know, back in film days. You'd be like, cut. And let's try the next one. Here it's just like, try this line, try this line, try this line. Wow. Yeah, you're just rolling and then you go back and, you know, unfortunately the editor's got a catalog at all, yeah. but it's great to have. This is a question I just came up with just now only because you mentioned the word alts and something I wanted to ask you actually on Deadpool 2. Um, like the alts and those things are so fascinating because the lines can just be said in the mask. Yeah. But we come down to him in the car at one point and he says that starfish joke. But in the trailer, I think it was the Blake Lively, like sister of the traveling pants <laughs> joke. Like does that, when you shoot that scene, do you know you're going to use one for trailer, one for movie? And can you apply that to, to kind of Fast and Furious uh, Hobbs and Shaw? Because you have some moments in the trailer that don't exist in the movie. So... I guess the two-part question, um, that one Deadpool one, but also the idea of do you ever shoot a trailer moment that just for a trailer? You don't ne- – I don't intentionally do that. I mean I think sometimes we, visually I try to go like this could be the trailer, you know, like <laughs> we're all getting everybody fired up. But I think that um, you – there are these gems that marketing finds and there's stuff that's working for the film and the, and the overall narrative and like, you know, sometimes the trailer – guys and the marketing guys come up and they're like, they cut a scene and you're like, Oh my God, that I let that joke go. I want to put it back in the movie. Other times um, you're like, you know what? That works in the trailer. Let them have it because it's good. And you can't put both jokes in the movie. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I think on Deadpool, um, I learned that from Ryan. It's okay to have like stuff that people can enjoy in the trailer. And then it's like, Oh, but it's a different line in the movie. It's fun. It's fun. You know, I don't, I don't mind that. I don't think it's like ripping the audience off that they got to see two jokes as opposed like to it. one. Yeah. You know, it's like we're giving a material like this is the tone of the movie. Right. Come on in and see it. And then when you get here, wow, you get another another joke. Yeah. So many people complain anyway that, oh, they give too much away in the trailer. So they're giving almost thing. an alternate version of the movie. Yeah, you, you, you do. And, it, and again, it's because you shoot so much, especially in comedies. I think you shoot so much material. It's hard sometimes to pick which joke you want to go with. And in the short format, like a trailer, sometimes that joke is better. And sometimes it doesn't work as well in the the other term. Um, You know, one of the things I was most impressed by with this movie is how much, if humanly possible, you went practical. Um, especially I felt a lot of the stuff in Hawaii, I thought, I mean, it looked like it was yeah. right there. There are obviously some sequences sequences yeah. where you got to use CGI just for nature of what it is. Uh, the importance of, if you can, going practical and not just rely on everything to be a blue screen. Yeah, it's really important to me as a filmmaker that we try and do as much in camera. And, and that's um, partly from the 
the stunt background and all of that. But it's also um, it's that it makes stuff look better and it's more authentic. I mean, it's in sort of the way we train actors to be able to do their own stunts so we can photograph them in a compelling way. You want to like try and get the real energy and dynamics and physics of the stuff live. That being said, like in the fast world, because we're pushing <laughs> physics, this stuff can't be done right. without CGI. And um, it's physically not possible. No, it's yeah. physically not <laughs> possible. And so you come up with these sequences that are all wish fulfillment, fun things. And, right. um, and you need to, well, how do I keep the illusion alive? Make as much of it practical as, practical yeah. as you can. Um, there's a great visual effects supervisor. I work with Dan Glass, who did the Matrix films, and that's where we met. Um, and um, he did Deadpool 2 with me and uh, Hobbs and Shaw. He, we're working together. And um, he's a big advocate of, like, how much can we get in camera? Are we going to do this for real? And I'm like, whoa, man, don't you want to? He's like, no, I want as much as possible and for real. Even if you end up replacing pieces of it. You, the artists have a great roadmap. The lighting is a perfect match. Like, you know, you're working with elements that are real yeah. in the camera on the negative that they're adding to as opposed to, you know, just fully CG from a plate shot or something. Yeah. Like that. Oh, yeah. And obviously, the work you've done in your career uh, prior to becoming a director is incredible. And you think about the directors you were working with Thank in you. those moments. David Fincher, you're talking about um, the Wachowskis. I was just curious, was there ever, can, is there a specific moment on shooting with the Wachowskis in The Matrix that stays with you now as a director that you then kind of like when you walk on set, you remember that moment and got to go, this is kind of not shaping you fully as a director, but like, is there something that specifically happened that you go, okay, I'm going to, this is where, this is from the Wachowskis. This is what right. they taught me. Wow. I mean, there's a lot that they taught me. And I think, you know, obviously my, my instinct of my sort of not instinct, it's just more of my um, appreciation of composition yeah. and um, isn't sort of comes from them and like um, how particular they are, like for each setup to have a, you know, they're, they're sort of, sort of uh, particular about the graphic nature of it and how they want that story to tell. Mm. They, um, oftentimes in the, during that time they were shooting with one camera because of that, you know, it's like, this is the shot. Mm. We'll move on to the next shot. And then all the pieces connect. So, um, yeah, that the visual sensibility is a, a big one from them. Mm. Um, Look, I mean, they, there's, I guess there's just so much that I took away from them. It's hard to like pin down the one moment. I'll say, uh, um, but every director that I've worked with, there, there's those sort of. Well, what know, did Fincher give you? I think Fincher is sort of like his, his, um, he's again very particular. Um, his sort of command of, um, then this, the set is pretty interesting. It's super quiet and like mm. people are like focused on, um, Again, his one camera that he's trying to deliver his his dialogue with the actors, and he's really particular about what he wants, and he stands up for it. And I think that that's um, something you have to have as a director. I think you can be a collaborator, which is more my nature, but it's good to see someone who's like such a razor sharp focus of what they want. Yeah. That that's um, it's good to have that um, have seen that work in a compelling way. Yeah, right. Um, even other, you know, I've worked with. Um, Zack Snyder on 300. And again, like there's something about how he leads his crew and mm -hmm. the positivity that he leads his crew. And like, um, there's an overwhelming sense of, um, camaraderie and, um, 
you know, that if you work on a Zack Snyder movie and you're part of his crew, you don't want to ever work with anybody else. Like he's that type of person mm. um, and how he leads people positively. So look, every director I've worked with, I take away something. Um, cool. Yeah. And, and, you know, like any other experience. I was wondering, just because at this point, I feel like the story has blown up so big and it's gone back and forth, depending on who you ask. Who came up with the black Superman line? Because everyone's taking credit for it. He just said it was his line, but Rock says he wrote it. But Dwayne Johnson says he wrote it. I'm being completely honest, and I'm not trying to ride the fence on this. I do remember shooting the interrogation scene, and it was like we were writing... We were writing sort of the, I was really concerned about like the plot part of it and like what Etienne's agenda was, you know, and the sort of the bigger sort of Brixton's, you know, he's a true believer. He's trying to convince Shaw. And like, I was more concerned about that. And then we had this moment of like, look at me, I'm black Superman. It was something we, I know for a fact we played with the idea of the, you know, the black James Bond. Right. Which I think, I would have been cool, but I think Superman's amazing. Yeah. And Did I he ever say black James Bond? Did he actually no, ever? No, okay. no, no, no. But we, I remember it being on set and we talked about it. Yeah. And we were, in that moment we talked about it. Like, because it, it was a, it was an open set and everyone was like, I do, you know, take from my producers and my creatives and like, try this idea, try that idea. And I think it just came up as one of those ideas that I don't know if it came from yeah. Dwayne. If he said it did, I'm sure he's not lying. <laughs> yeah. Black Superman. Um, whatever it was, I was like, say that because it's awesome. Well, and that makes more sense to me than Black James Bond, just in terms of like who yes. he is. Like yeah. that makes him a lot more It would have been too on the yeah. nose. Yeah. But it's yeah. so funny. It's you know, funny. And again, like we were at that point in the movie, we were playing, you know, you're, you're shooting alts and you're playing with the meta nature of it. You know, we have the Italian job, little. I love nod, that. I love that. And there's, we had some other things that I can't remember, but we were like, let's just see in editorial if this stuff works or if it's like, we've pushed the tone too far. Hmm. So, but so we had some, you know, it was a meta thing, like yeah. that we thought it might work. Yeah. Was it, was it Idris that said like, look, like people are going to take it. It's going to, I was, ne- he wasn't like really upset about it. He's like, no, nah, I didn't think it was that funny. Okay. Let's next one. Idris is amazing. By the way, I want to tell our audience one thing that David does really well with this film is, uh, you mo- emotionally ground it. Um, we're dealing with insane, ridiculous over the top action, but it's with characters that we care about. Um, I would even go as far as to say that I actually found a connection uh, with Idris's character in the sense of like the idea of what he's going through, why he's doing what he's doing. And you can actually kind of feel for him, in my opinion. Good. Um, I really mean that. Um, I hope. Um, one thing I've loved about this press tour um, is how much your actors are talking about the importance of stunt acting and, and stunt actors. And like I've seen Rock talk about it. Jason talked about it a lot um, when I interviewed him in London. And we talked about it today. Uh, specifically the sequence when they go into those hallways and he takes those dudes' heads and just smashes them into that, those, uh, that scanner thing. Um, but that scene in particular, I want to highlight for people because those guys took those hits. I mean, like, and that's the thing people need to realize is like how important these people are that are behind the scenes and why I think there should be an Academy Award category for stunt acting. Yeah. Um, but that scene in particular, um, as a director, when you're behind the camera, do you feel bad? Like to say, do another one, <laughs> send that guy's face into the scanner again. You don't, I mean, I, I have to say, like, I'm not, I'm not a sadist, you know, I'm not, but I, I don't. I love that that's something you needed to say on this podcast. <laughs> but. <laughs> But I, I do find a little, like when it's that little bit of a gag, like, and it's like, okay, guys, it's time to earn your stunt pay. Like for me, it's a little bit like, come on, boy. Like, cause I've been there and I've yeah. done it and I know what it's like. And it's also like, 
they're feeling good about it too. It's like, it hurts a little bit, but it's also like, okay, point of pride and like, that's good. Um, so it's fun when I, especially in the fight scenes where our guys, you know, get a good, you know, a nice judo throw or a good kick into a table. Like you feel good about it. And it's like, that was a good stunt. Yeah. And they're like, um, you want some of it, you want to feel it a little bit. Um, again, you just, yeah, I, I feel, I feel for stunt performers as a whole, because I think, you know, the, there is a time and place when everybody gets to celebrate the Academy Awards and that here we are left out and like we're such a driving force behind these big action movies. You know, what would Mad Max be without, you know, stunt performers? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It wouldn't be Mad Max. Do you prefer performers. stunt performers over stunt actors? I do prefer. Apologies. No yeah. worries. Uh, okay. No worries. I want to make sure I, I, sure I say it correctly. Um, no, stunt no. Performers. Yeah, like yeah stunt yeah. performers because, I mean, um, we we're, we are acting. We're portraying. If sure. you're doubling, you're portraying the the character, whoever that character is, and then a lot of times you're playing um, bad guys. You know, bad guy number one getting kicked out a window or thrown out of a helicopter or whatever it is. So um, look, the but the other thing that people don't remember realize, or you know, maybe most people don't realize, is that we're designing the action sequences. We're training the actors. We're um, you know we're rigging the you know, the, the, these, this sort of effects, the stunt effects, all the wires and stuff are rigged by stunts. Um, and you're, you know, they're driving the cars that are a huge part of this world. Like there's 50 stunt drivers on this movie, like bringing those cars characters to life and to not be seen and recognized by the Academy as a sort of full blown entity that needs recognition at that time when everyone's celebrating film Mm -hmm. It's always kind of been of a bummer. Because like, yeah. SAG has a... We do. And it's like, on. they have a stunt ensemble award, right. which is, you know, it's a good, that's a good sort of, I think, um, way in right. to it's the academy. Way, it's like, yeah. it's a good way. It's like, okay, it's just the best stunt ensemble sort of recognizes the best film, the the stunts and the best stunts in film for that year. Right. And that you can have a stunt coordinator and his team can all sort of celebrate in that moment right. and the coordinator gets the award. I mean, that's one version of how that could all go down. Um, I mean, I don't really get why, because I feel like this is one of the few things all of cinema agrees on is that there should be an Oscar yeah, for none. stunt performers. Yeah. Like it's, you know, like every time the Oscars try to change the rules, it ticks off half the people and the other people like, but universally it seems like everyone wants there to be like, I don't understand why they don't just go, okay. Yeah. I, I'm actually sort of been really dumbfounded by it as well. And I think, you know, there's been such a huge push in the last sort of four or five years. And, um, it's weird. It's like radio silence from the Academy. Yeah. So it's odd. You mentioned stunt performing and I, every time you and Chad release a film, um, I find myself just singing your praises in the sense of the choreography and your action scenes is being done in long takes because we feel it. Your, your actors are actually going through the training. It feels immersive. You're not quick cutting and every yeah. five seconds. So you're, bring, you're, you're, you're feeling it. Um, and I remember Chad, I, Chad says, I mean, I know you, this, you know, the story, Chad tells a great story about, um, being on the matrix, not a great story. It's a bad story on the matrix and blew out his knee. Um, when they were shooting that yeah. uh, mm-hmm. moment, I think it's the subway fight with Hugo. And, yeah. And he, they crashed in the ceiling and, and they blew dropped down. Yeah. Um, I was just curious, uh, did you ever have a story like that came like super close to like seriously injuring you like that? Was there ever, I, I know Chad's told that one. I've never heard um, one from you before though. <laughs> I'd be curious if you ever had one. Yeah. I mean, I had, uh, my, m- one of my first early injuries, it's more fun than, it's not really that fun, but it was before <laughs> I even started in the film business. Um, I had plenty in the film business, but this is more fun. It's a Magic Mountain live show for Batman. 
Yes, <laughs> yes. That's amazing. It was very exciting. And I was out there like trying to get into stunts and a lot of guys start in live shows or whatever yeah. and you're working at an amusement park. And I was rehearsing for like three days and uh, there was this crazy simple gag where the Batmobile drives under a catwalk and you just, I got to like, come off the car and just grab the bar. It's like American, you know, American Ninja Warrior or yeah. whatever. And I decide I'm going to grab it. I'm Batman. Yes. <laughs> and I'm going to grab this thing and do a backflip because I can, right? And somehow I grab this thing and I do a kip and I stall my rotation and I'm like, I'm not going to make it around. So I put my hand down and then I just, just watch my arm fold oh, in four oh, places. It's oh. like my hand was here. Oh, if you could see it, in, it's a it's a ninety degree angle. Does it happen oh. in slow motion? <laughs> yes, it, like, of course. Yes. Yeah, I mean it's amazing. Um, so that was not. I, I I never saw a day. I was only rehearsal. I never got to ever be Batman oh, for anybody. So, so the, and, yeah. the, and now they've cast uh, Robert Pattinson. They should have cast him. Yes. 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 Matt Reeves, what the hell are you doing, doing, man? Um, so I know you're, this movie's not even out yet, and you're still in the middle of promoting it, but I, and I'm going to do something I feel like is always annoying for filmmakers, which is ask about the sequel. Um, because I feel like there's a, there, there, are some, there are some things in this that are set up for, I'm assuming, Hobbs and Shaw Part 2. Do you, it, there's some, without getting into spoilers, there's some, like, do you know where it's going? Like, the things that are set up for us. Like, do you know that, the answers to, like, to the questions, the that, questions that, you that, know that we, we have? have? You know we have. Like, yeah. I, well, I'll say this. I wanted to go into this to, to provoke those questions, mm -hmm. but I can't say, like, um, that that's necessarily where we're going to go. But there was always the intention of, like, leaving the audience with these questions. Like, the bigger structure of Etion yeah. and, like... You know who's at the helm, and like, um, and um, what's uh, what's that world all about? And like, are our heroes going to go back and like take down the guy who is connected to Hobbs now? And like, um, yes, that stuff I wanted. You know, I think it, without getting into spoilers, like you know, when you look at the cast that we put together and and some of the special people that have come on board, I think it was all really designed to were intentionally for where I wanted to take the movie tonally and take the franchise tonally it was like um with the fun you know with their special appearances with the great actors like um obviously jason and, and Dwayne, but idris and vanessa like are, grounding yes. that and um and isa gonzalez like does roughly yeah. lift vanessa off the ground like that is that real <laughs> That was an insane I can't. shot. Hey, it's movie magic. <laughs> it's yeah. such a cool scene. I know we have two things we have to get to before we close out. You have a podcast, also the brisk element. Um, yes. I want to mention something real fast. You and you and Chad are very big on Nietzsche. Uh, am, I, <laughs> am I pronouncing that right? Yes. So yeah. in John Wick, see, I, I, I love your work and I follow everything you guys do. And I think that in John Wick 3, there's a great quote that's used there. Um, there's a quote in this film. Um, what is it about him that's that was so, like important for you guys? Like, how did you guys discover him? Uh, it's not, I mean, it's, it is more of like just an inside thing for him and I. And it's not like that big of a deal. And it's not like a fall. We worship at the altar of it. Cool, I think that though. there's some um, obviously as a philosopher, there's some rich ideas and there's obviously some problems with his philosophies moving forward. But I do find it fun that we can carry Easter eggs throughout our movies yeah. and we can do things in, in each other's like shared universe. Yeah, yeah uh, that's cool. But I also liked the idea of like Hobbes' his character reading. Yes, yeah. It just found that yeah. funny. So that was my way in to have it in the film, you know. And yeah. then uh, again, same with the Bruce Lee of it all. Like, you know, um, Chad and I come from that the lineage and 
studying at the Inasano Academy, we're part of the Bruce Lee sort of lineage. And um, it is like cool to like get to reference him and settle in his philosophies in the movie as well. So it's fun. Yeah. And by the way, for our audience, uh, we're, uh, tweet us, let us know if you can find David in the movie because he's in the movie. Um, and it's, 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 a, it's a people, you'll notice it if you see it. Um, in Hobbs and Shaw? Oh, yeah. yeah, he's that. He's that. Well, I, I'll tell you. We'll do that um, <laughs> two things. Are you a podcast? Um, yeah, we do. Um, we have an um, we have podcast. Uh, it's eighty seven eleven podcast, and um, you can find it on Apple. Um, we have. Uh, it's funny. Um, Kale Schultz, who's been working with us for uh, about seven years now, and um, he runs eighty seven eleven in the facility. He's actually uh, Kelly McCormick's cousin, mm-hmm. and. Um, <laughs> He's, we call him, he's 6'4", he's 6'4", about 2.30, he's yoked. He actually dies in all of our movies. He <laughs> died in John Wick 1, he's the guy that got shot in the head and falls into <laughs> yes, the back. Yes, yes. How did he die in Deadpool 2? Uh, he, um, actually, he didn't die in Deadpool 2, he came in and he was the motion capture for Jugs. Yeah. Oh, uh, the Ryan physical, motion capture. He did the on. face, he did the face, but oh. the, on, the on-set physical stuff, actually we had Stefan and we had... Other ones, but we had um, him there for Jugs as well. So. That's cool. All right, so people can find the podcast on uh, Apple, iTunes. Um, yeah. Just just Chad join the show as well. well. He does. He's got a, a great John Wick episode. Um, I'm doing a Hobbs and Shaw one. You know, I'm we'll probably Chad and I will get together and do one. I think it's really fun to get you know the sort of hear the stories of not only us but like other stunt industry sort of uh, contemporaries yeah. that we have, and then our team. Like our, we have a wacky group of young stunt guys that have come up and really supported us in the business that are all making names for themselves and they have great stories and um, anecdotes and it's a crazy world, this I, stunt world. Like I said, I was nervous when I found out that he had a podcast because I was like, oh God, he's going to like, be, he knows how to do this. He's yeah. going to be judging us. Yeah, <laughs> he knows whether or not it's we're not, good. We don't, yeah. we don't moderate. It's Kale. He moderates. We just you guys uh, hang out. Yeah. yeah. And it was just good to um, get in there and do it. And he's runs with it. Um, you know, he's, he's getting good at it. One of the cool things in this movie you'll see and people who watch it, I love uh, how your characters kind of talk into the camera, like, but they're talking to themselves. Yes. Like they, that's really cool. Um, but the reason I bring that up is because there's that great line in the trailer where he says, I'm going to open a can of whoop-ass. So speaking of that, we were downstairs at the, at the press junket earlier, and there's those brisk... Yeah, I tweeted um, a picture of it. We took a yeah, brisk... Um, yeah. Yeah. Talk about the connection with brisk, how that kind of it's came It's literally about. a can of whoop-ass. Yeah. Totally, it is. Yeah. And uh, no, brisk um, approached uh, Hobbs and Shaw, and then they approached me about mentoring young filmmakers um, and what I'd be interested in. I was like really excited about it. Um, they, uh, you know, they do it every year. I think they did it on the last one and they, um, or they do it every film and they try to like get out there and find young filmmakers that are interested in action films or in quite the, literally anything. And um, um, they go through a competition and they shot a spot for Can of Whoop Ass um, and this young filmmaker uh, from Brooklyn, New York, Evans Alexander, won. And um, it's a really fun little viral spot that I think they're going to release. And um, he came out and um, spent the day with me while we were in post. And we had a lot of conversations. He's an incredible photographer, um, a real you know, artist in his own right, and now sort of working his way into film. And um, I look forward to what he does in the future. And it's fun to like share your knowledge. Um, you know, I get to do it with my stunt team. But it's fun to great to do it with like young filmmakers that are just coming up from 
wherever. And if people, um, if you look on David's Twitter, he posted a great photo of you two. I think you were walking together, right? Yeah. Um, um, I know you have to go, but this is something I, I can't. Wait, not one more bring. question, please. Yeah, one, right. yeah, one, one more, more question, question please. Can we do one right. more each? Do you mind? All right, cool. Um, because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's out and oh, Brad Pitt. Yeah, oh, yeah. so, yeah. so that's yeah. That's yeah. It. Well, the question, I'm gonna hit it from a different angle. So Brad Pitt, uh, we, you asked him earlier if you saw the movie. Um, he's playing a stunt act, a performer in the film. <laughs> actor performer. Yeah, stunt man, um, stunt whatever, and, stunt performer. And you were Pitt's stunt, stunt uh, act performer <laughs> on Fight Club. Yeah. Um, is it interesting to know that there's a movie out there now where he's playing a stunt performer? No, it's... It's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. It's cool. I mean, I think, you know, Quentin has always been really supportive of the stunt community. And I think, you know, his relationship with Zoe Bell Zoe is obviously Bell. like, um, that's, you know, how much he appreciates stunt people and that stunt actors that become actors, right? Uh, look, for me, having Brad portray a stunt performer is really sort of fun. Did and he call like, you and say... No, no, uh, no, it's funny. Last time I did speak to him, though, was on Deadpool when he came in and <laughs> did, his, did his Vanisher cameo. Um, he's got plenty of anecdotes from our years of doing movies together that he could... He's got plenty... He's seen me mess up plenty of times that he's... I'm sure he's got a great well of uh, David Leach stunt performer... Gags to draw what from. He channels him in the movie. Uh, I don't. I don't, I don't think. Don't it, I think he's playing a Hal Needham type character. Yeah, I think, yeah. but I don't know. Um, anyway, I just. It's really fun. It's pretty funny. Well, that was seriously. That was legit. My exact question. <laughs> but seriously, thank you so much for taking the time to do this, man. I know you got ten thousand things going on and, and a flight to catch and everything. So thanks for for joining us on uh, yeah. Real Blend. And people, seriously, keep your eye out for some of the shots in this film. Specific, like that one. That oneer when he flies through the freaking bus and he comes yeah. around and Idris is like. <laughs> Oh, you want a war? And that yeah. freaking blew my mind, man. <laughs> I, I've seen it twice. I'm going to go again from, with my wife for a third time. Uh, check out David's podcast. Uh, one more time on the name. It's like 8711. 8711. Chad. 8-7, the word 11 podcast. Perfect. Chad has one up. Uh, we're putting one up for Hobbs and Shaw. Perfect. Yep. And then go to David's uh, Twitter, which is David M. Leach, and you can actually find this great photo of him and Evan from the Brisk campaign walking down the street. Uh, thank you so much, man. Thank you. Thank you. This seriously. Thanks for taking awesome. the time. Thank Appreciate you, guys. It. Appreciate it. Okay, this week's blend game is, oh God, man, this was really hard. I actually swore at Gabe uh, repeatedly this afternoon as I really? tried to make, yeah, as I tried to make my pick. That's um, interesting. I thought it was one of the easier ones lately. It is hashtag Kevin Costner blend. And well, because in my opinion, he has several legit great movies, not good actually great that's fair there but there's one movie of his that's considered to be great that i actively do not like and if it's your pick i'm gonna be very curious i don't think so mine's kind of obscure okay then Uh, it's not it oh can i can i say what it is well yeah now i kind of want to i actively dislike the untouchables oh yeah i know you do i do not think the untouchables is a good movie yeah that's a wrong opinion that's okay to have it's it. It's so cheesy. We're, what we're learning in today's safe space real blend is that it, you can have a wrong opinion. It's allowed. And um, you're still wrong. You're still wrong. <laughs> you're right. still like wrong. if you want a Chicago mafia movie, just watch Road to Perdition. They did it right there. Oh, you <laughs> love that movie so much. I know. It's oh, you got to go to the street. That yeah, it was, that we where we shot we shot the, the interviews for the kitchen on the street on the Warner Brothers back lot, the street That's where Tom Hanks mows down Paul Newman. I essentially stood where Paul Newman had his final on-screen appearance in cinema. I also have to laugh um, at you and Juan 
who uh, stood rain. in the at- well, but, okay? Rain. So you're in the alley where they filmed the uh, they shot the album cover for Purple Rain. Yeah, and you both choose to stand in the Apollonius spot. Well, because th- there was a, a table uh, where people were having lunch where the uh, motorcycle was. Fun fact: that spot where they shot the Purple Rain cover is right. five feet away from where they shot the Spider-Man upside down kiss. And, and <gasps> uh, yeah. Same out. Really? Oh, yeah. that's kind of amazing. That's and that's cool. like 30 feet from the road to Perdition Street. It's nuts. That's sick. Hollywood. Hollywood, you're so crazy. Hollywood. All right, anyway, hashtag Kevin Costner blend. He was neither in Purple Rain nor <laughs> hanging upside down kissing Kirsten Dunst. And he was not in Road to Perdition, but he probably could have been in Road to Perdition. Oh, yeah, he, really, he would have really been good. great in the Tom Hanks Oh, part. would have been amazing. Uh, Kevin, I've been told that you get to go oh. first, and I'm going to strap myself in. Oh. Uh, because I know what your pick is going to be, and well, it's it's not correct. It's, well, first of all, um, this is my favorite Kevin Costner role is Man of Steel. I love Man of Steel. Absolutely love his performance in that movie. Uh, the right. tornado sequence is heartbreaking. Genuinely heartbreaking. Well, I agree um, with that. I'll, I'll go on the record and say I agree with you, Kevin. I agree it, with that. That's a heartbreaking sequence. I agree with you. Amazing, amazing scene. Um, why I love that character Um I love that character because of his calming conversations with Superman. Okay. Um, I love the way he grounds Superman. Um, There is such a, um, not a vulnerability, but a sweetness to that character that I find that I I want to know so much more about. Like, I would love to know more about his story. And I'm sure it's been explored in comics. I'm not a huge comic book reader. I'm a comic book movie fan. Um, but I just found that the time Kevin spent on screen in Man of Steel, um, and that pivotal sequence where he tells his, you know, where he tells Clark to not come towards him to save him was such an amazing selfless act for the world. Um, and the weight of that moment, in my opinion, on Kevin Costner's face is truly astounding. Like, like, like he carries that moment so well. And I think, listen, when you think of Kevin Costner, the last thing you're going to think about is Man of Steel. And I get that. Um, I mean, the guy has <laughs> Bull Durham. I mean, you go Field of Dreams, Untouchables, Dances with Wolves. I get that there are a gigantic amount of roles that I could have easily pulled from. Um, but because this is a personal choice and a choice that I am, uh, when I think of Kevin Costner, because of Snyder's direction of Costner in that film, that has now become my favorite role of Co- of Costner's. Uh, even so much so that when he showed up in Batman vs Superman, um, uh, like I just was happy to see him again. I missed him, um, and I just really think that he played that part better than that part deserved. Um, and I thought he was brilliant in it. So that's my favorite Kevin Costner performance. We don't have the full time. Uh, some people who follow us on social media um, know that we have a a Man of Steel debate. Um, coming to the show. Well, it's a masterpiece, but yes. And and one day, one day, I promise you, folks, we will dedicate a full uh, chunk of the show to it. Um, because while I love, Ke- I I listen, I love Kevin McCarthy more than I love most family members. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going. That yeah, I, was I was like, like more than what? More than my I, wife? I what? love him so much. Yeah, I, was like, I was like, are you going to drop that you love him more than your children? No, 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 no. But this is one of those classic. Not, I not love the you. Children. But, but, but as, what's that, that's a classic I, line, everything that comes before the word, but is bullshit. Yeah, he, exactly. He and I could not disagree more. 
in the use of Jonathan Kent in Man of Steel. But it's okay um, to be wrong, Sean. We've all the, agreed. We've all, this is the lesson we've learned on the show today. It's okay to be wrong. I will even argue that Man of Steel is one of the best Superman movies um, up to a point. And it's the scene where Jonathan <laughs> Kent, where Clark says to him, I know, I know. I'm just prefacing it, Gabe, so that when we get to it later at another time. That when he says, uh, what should I have done, Dad? Should I have just let them die? Oh, beautiful. And Jonathan is supposed to say in that point, of course not, Clark. You should use your powers to save everybody. Mm. You are you are more powerful than any of us. Fictional You're unlike characters. anything we've ever They're seen. fictional characters. But instead he says, maybe? And I thought, what oh, yeah. the f- You know why that was brilliant? <laughs> because that was a human response to yes. a situation that he understood the scope of. Okay. Come on, man. Yeah, all right. So for another time, we will table it for another time. My choice for Kevin Costner blend um, is Open Range. Uh, have you guys seen Open Range? I have. Yeah, that's it's a, a great good movie, movie. Actually, yeah. Costner's westerns. Good movie. Are phenomenal, right? Like he and Clint Eastwood were put on this earth to make westerns, and they don't always get known for their, you know, their like. Well, I'm sorry, they are known for their westerns, but they've also made plenty of other films and many other genres. But the two of them, I believe, love the genre, so that when they dedicate their time to it, you get something like Unforgiven. Or you get something like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Um, and for Costner, you get Silverado, which I almost went with Silverado because it's such a tremendous movie. Uh, you get Dances with Wolves, which got Costner all of his Oscar glory. Um, but Open Range was the one that I think just um, is the best of them. It's him and Robert Duvall together. They have such an unforced chemistry. Uh, Annette Benning uh, is the love interest of sorts and, and a woman who's running into trouble in the small town. It is a small scale Western, a very small story. Um, it's a vengeance tale, of course, like almost all Westerns are. But it's made with such love and passion for the genre. And it's such a, a brilliant throwback with three amazing performances um, that I went with it because it's it it's knocked me off my feet how good it was. And I kind of... Costner was going through a phase there where he was in things like Dragonfly and Rumor Has It and The Guardian. And he was showing up in a lot of things where I was just like, what has happened to him? The people aren't using him the way that that he should be used. The Postman. You guys remember The Postman? It was like a three-hour disaster. And then in the middle of all of that came Open Range. And I was like, there he is. Like, there's that movie star who I adore. And I mentioned last week that I have a really quick Costner junket story. And Gabe, I promise I'll go really fast. We were on the set of Jack Ryan the uh, reboot that he did with Chris Pine or the new Jack Ryan. And essentially it was one of those set visits where nothing happened. We were just sitting around waiting for the talent the entire day. And we were in the, um, the, we were in a pub in England across the street from where they were filming a scene where Chris Pine had to just keep going up an escalator for the whole day. And as we were waiting for them to take breaks, they would come over. So Kenneth Branagh came over, Chris Pine came over, um, and then Costner came in and, he uh, sat down with us for about five, 10 minutes. And then the rep came in and it was one of those things where like when you sat across from him and he talked for five minutes and you realized like, oh my God, you have that A-list movie star charisma. Like you're a movie star. You know, when you're sitting across from someone who's a movie star and it, everything exudes movie star from them. So we were all just in awe, like sitting around the table, staring at this guy. And the rep comes in after 10 minutes. She goes, okay, um, you know, we're going to wrap. That's enough time. And Costner goes, um, uh, I, I wasn't supposed to be on set today. Like I came all the way down here just to talk to you guys. So we're going to keep going. And he gave us 40 minutes. Wow. And it was one of those things where like, 
we ran out of things to talk about with Jack Ryan, so we just went down his career. Like we were wow. just like, and he was hey, cool at that time when you did JFK, and he was like, oh, let me tell you about Oliver Stone, and we would just go, wow. and he just for forty minutes, he just went, and it was like one of the best experiences, dude. If you have had. the audio of that, can you send that? I would genuinely love to just sit and listen to that. I don't even know if I have that. I'll I'll ask Ryan for it. So anyway, that was an incredible, incredible moment because after a while. We just got past the awe of, oh my God, you're Kevin Costner. And then he was like, I'm not going anywhere. Let's keep talking. And we went and did 40 minutes on his career and it was genius. And then by the end of it, he was just like, all right, everybody got enough. And we were like, hey, yeah. we got we got plenty. He's like, all right, cool. Wow. So I'll talk to you guys later. And he sort of got up out of the chair and rambled off into the dark. And there he, there he went. So, uh, Jake, I've been told that wow. you get to go last. That. That's um, a great story. My pick of his is Field of Dreams. Oh, um, that was I was choosing that. I mean, you know, it's 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 an easy pick. Um, but and it's not just you know that's that's another movie we've talked a lot about movies that have changed for us over time. But as I've sort of grown into a man, because I always loved that movie as a kid, because it's sort of the magical element of it. But as a man, I love that movie because not just the choices that are presented with him and the problems that he has to to, to tackle are relatable. Um, everyone can relate to issues with their parents. Every, everyone can relate, relate, uh, relate to um, not really knowing what direction to go in life and, and the fear of, of taking a chance on something when a lot of people are telling you not to do it. He makes the choice that we all wish that we were brave enough to. It, mm-hmm. it, it happens for him the way that we wished it would happen to us. And so it's not just that he is undergoing these relatable problems. It's that he represents sort of the image of us that we wish that we could be. And I'm not saying that it's easy for him, that he makes it easy at all. I mean, like it's, it's a continual struggle for him the entire movie, but he represents this image of someone that struggles like us. And that we kind of hope that, man, like I, I hope that I, I would have what it takes to handle it the way he handled it. Um, I'm a sucker for father son movies. I have uh, confessed my love to, to big fish being my favorite Tim Burton movie. And, and a lot of that has to do with the father son element. And, and at this point, it's almost turned into a borderline cliche, but I don't know a line <laughs> that represents father-son uh, relationships on the big screen more than dad want to have a catch. Ugh, uh, I mean, just even like just just chills just saying that um, th- there's so many it, for a movie that is so magical. It is so grounded and what it means to be human and what it means to be a person. A lot of people tell me that it's like a, a dude movie. And I don't think that's fair because I think that everything in that movie is relatable to, to, to men and women. Um, but I, I just, I mean, it's, it's a magical, it's not, it's not just a baseball movie. It's not just this magical movie. It's not just a movie about drama. Um, it's a, it's a little bit of everything that so many elements that shouldn't work, but somehow they do. Let me also minorly deflate that just briefly, because I can't tell you how many times that my kids come up to me and ask me to do something with them. And I'm, I tell them, no, I'm too busy. <laughs> like I can't be bothered with, <laughs> can't be bothering with shit right now. Like Brendan's constantly like, can we play? He plays 2K, like the NBA 2K. He's constantly like, dad, can you play 2K? I'm always like, eh, not right now. <laughs> to be fair, that, so that's a little a bit less like, that's a, a little bit less um, cinematic than want to have a catch. Like yeah, maybe if he asked sure. to go outside and throw the baseball, sure. he'd be more willing to do it. It's a beautiful scene, but I'm telling you, in real life, it's bullshit. It's largely bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin. I was just curious if you guys read the article about Hobbs and Shaw's favorite Kevin Costner movie. Oh, wait a second. Did you guys uh, hear about this? Uh, Is it another article that's going to ruin Hobbs and Shaw for me? Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 like Hobbs and Shaw have a, ver- have a very, very, very favorite uh, Kevin Costner film. I was just curious I don't, if you heard I about don't it. know what it is. No, oh, what is it, Kevin? The Art of Racing in the Rain. What? 
Why? Because Fast and Furious is about racing, and there's a rain oh, fight. Oh, and Kevin Costner's the dog. Oh, yeah, there you go. See, yeah, there's a lot Kevin, you know it's good when you have to explain it. Uh, oh, yeah. It's been so many weeks since he made a pun. I do, I do want to give a shout out. Shout out to a, a great <laughs> sequence in Molly's game, by the way, on the bench with Jessica Chastain. That is real. That's a good moment. Amazing costume. Yeah, that is a good game. one. All right, audience yeah. picks. Kimberly Sue said the Guardian. Dustin Stout, uh, S T O U D T, said Field of Dreams, and I only spelled his name that way because Mark Stout, uh, S T O U T. So I believe no relation. That's kind of uh, confusing. Said JFK. So Dustin Stout, Field of Dreams, Mark Stout, JFK. Desiree says uh, Bull Durham. All excellent choices. Bull Durham's such an awesome movie. Uh, For next week, you can reach out on Twitter to play the next blend game. Uh, you will use hashtag Richard Linklater blend. That's a Ooh. long, that's a long hashtag. Why, why have we started doing first and last names? Why did we just... Yeah, that's a great question, Daenerys. <laughs> so uh, window washers are here. Linklater blend. Can we just do Linklater blend? Okay, never mind. He's saying Rich, Richard Linklater blend. All right, well, you can also, if you don't want to go on social media, because Twitter is a hellhole of horrific op- opinions, uh, you can use the safe space of email. Uh, Real blend at cinemablend.com. Do you guys ever get emails? With picks? Yes. You actually, do? the letter that we read at the top, the nice one, not the two one-star negative reviews. No, but I mean, um, I mean with was picks. an email. Yes, that was, oh, for picks? Um, yeah. Yeah, Mac. Mainly Mac. <laughs> one person emails us. Most people use uh, Twitter to, to play the blend game, and we appreciate when everybody plays along on that. So you can also, like I said, send a review to uh, RealBlend at CinemaBlend.com. You can go to our iTunes page. Leave a nice positive review up at the top and knock those two negative one-star reviews down at the bottom. Because every time I log on to the Apple page now, like those are sitting at the top staring at me, reminding me of the failure that was our Tarantino interview. And I, I have a fragile ego. Like I don't and I, I don't want to look at that the first thing I do when I log in each morning. It's depressing. And from this point on now, you guys will be able to guess who's uh, responding to you on the social media page because the boys are going to get access to the Twitter feed. So the Twitter yeah. feed is at Real Blend. Jake's Twitter feed is at Jake's Takes. Kevin's is at Kevin McCarthy TV. And mine is at Sean underscore O'Connell. We will be back next week where we're going to be talking about more August reviews. I'm sorry, everybody. Um, And uh, probably some Toronto prep because we're going to start hearing about titles that are going there and junkets that we're going to be doing all up there and potentially a real blend meetup in the Great White North if we can get our schedules aligned. So... Until then, when we're back with episode number 80, we'll talk to you soon and... Don Kirk! (laughs) This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.